Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, folks. It's V the Grill Economist coming to you live on this edition of Rogue News in the morning. You can find us at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News. Rogue News on every single podcasting app. Note to humanity from Apple News. I mean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, uh, you name it, we're everywhere. And also check us out on Twitch, DLive, uh, YouTube. Um, is that LinkedIn Siege? We're, we're broadcasting live on LinkedIn. It is, yes. Wow. Yeah, we're everywhere. We're, wow, we're, we're official you now. You can't avoid us. You, you can't, can't avoid, avoid us. us. You know, Float, uh, we're on Periscope. Every single podcasting app, every single streaming platform, we will be also uploading this to, to Rumble as well as our website. Uh, we have with us a special guest, first time here. He's a good buddy of ours. He's a good friend of our buddy, Matthew Errett. Uh, is the one and only Lawrence Freeman. He's a political and economic analyst for Africa. Lawrence started his website uh, back in 2017, to express his analysis and policies for Africa. He's accrued over 250,000 views in five and a half years. It's um, His website is, CJ, we have it right up there, Africa in the World. Yep, what it's right website? in the description as well for our listeners. Yep. Okay. Freeman's Africa is the is the website. Is that correct, CJ? No, Freeman's Africa is the Twitter. Okay, okay, Health, got it. Freeman's Africa. Okay. And uh, that's his website, folks. Uh, and he, 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 he talks about um the you know he's he, the the issues in africa uh the 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 attempted regime change operations that have been african why africa is constantly put under the thumb most people don't understand that most people just write off africa that's ah, africa you know we spend billions and trillions in africa it all goes to waste well we're just going to break down exactly what happens in africa what's been going on in africa a lot of things that people are not aware of especially in the west because we have a very unipolar way of understanding we have a very myopic view of the world and today lawrence is going to absolutely shatter that viewpoint so get ready strap in your seat belts get your notebooks ready boys and girls because lawrence is about to take his school lawrence welcome it's a pleasure to have you on sir thank you very much that was quite an introduction <laughs> thank you. hey you're welcome you're welcome it's our pleasure to have you on lawrence where do you want to begin um, there, uh, I mean, Africa is such a huge subject matter. Most people don't understand Africa. They don't understand the exploitation that has occurred. Some people have some grasp of colonial times and 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 and, and um, um, uh, imperialism and all these other terms. But what what's really going on? What what drove you into the 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 to 
you know, to really look into Africa and the issues there? Well, that that's a long story, but uh, to make it short, uh, I was very active as a young person, even in high school, politically, and I was concerned about conditions in the world. I was very concerned about Africa. I, what little I knew, I couldn't understand why there was poverty and hunger with all its capabilities. And then I kind of dropped it. And then I picked up the issue of Africa again many years later in the late 1980s. And since then, I've been escalating uh, my contacts and my familiarity. I started teaching courses on African history in the Maryland area. And I've made about two, more than two dozen visits to African countries, Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, Chad, Mali, Cote d'Ivoire, Sudan, Nigeria, Ethiopia, and I'm very much in, involved. And it's, um, it's a very uh, important, uh, obviously it's a continent that it's gonna have, they're estimating that it's gonna have two and a half billion people by the year 2050, so less than 30 years from now, which will be uh, about a quarter of the world's population. And they have about a billion young people, that is people like, they think they think 35 and younger. They will have the largest workforce of any portion, any, any group of countries in the world. So it's going to be, it's, it's in this century, Africa will be the center of geopolitics. And the question is, what is the policy? And the West policy has been very, very poor for a long period of time, Republican or Democrat. I often point in my classes and my discussions, the last president we had who actually understood Africa and supported Africa was John F. Kennedy. And he famously invited Kwame Nkrumah, who was the leader of the liberation movements of Africa and the president of Ghana. In 1961, March 8th, he invited him as the first head of state to his administration and had a head of state dinner, met him at the airport. I have pictures on my website of the two leaders smiling at each other. Uh, and this was really the last time I would say we, we understood and supported Africa. Overall, the policy for many centuries has been uh, to exploit the nation. You had 400 years of slavery from about 1440. Around there is when the first uh, Africans were taken out of Lagos to become slaves in Europe. That continued about 400 years. That transitioned into uh, exploitation of resources, which was getting the resources under the ground. And then uh, in the, the liberation movement of Africa in the 1960s switched it over to economic control. So you had the IMF, the World Bank, financial institutions, controlling Africa. So you've had about a, a half a millennium of outside interference, and it continues today to prevent African nations from developing, from industrializing, from having the power to produce their own existence, uh, even food. There is absolutely no reason for Africa to spend $35 billion importing food when they have the largest amount of arable land in the world, and unused arable land. So you look at why this this is the case even now as we're in the first part of the of the of twenty uh, of this century, there is no reason for hunger. There is no reason for poverty. 
And that's what I put on my website. And my mission is to end poverty and hunger. And I'm a student of Alexander Hamilton. I think his policies uh, can be at the center of change. And I work informally with a group of Africans uh, working on a plan to create an Africa Infrastructure Development Bank, mm. which will be focused totally on infrastructure because the infrastructure deficit is the biggest killer in the continent. And the West is doing nothing to address it. No. The West's biggest export, you know, people would say, you know, West, uh, you know, biggest export is 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 the currency. And and um, I think the West's biggest export um, is uh, domination and subjugation. And um, when I look at, you know, what's going on in Africa, I'm reminded of Zygbinu Brzezinski's book, The Grand Chessboard. And in The Grand Chessboard, he made a very unique comment. He said, control and domination of of Ukraine equates not only con- equates control of Eurasia and control of Eurasia equates to control of Africa. And it's very connected and, and very few people, you know, uh, bring that up or, or even think about it, but it's one of the same. And, and I mean, think about it. Like you, know, you have China, you have uh, Russia that go in, even India that go into, um, into Africa with all sorts of development plans and, and infrastructure plans. And what does the United States offer Africa? It offers AFRICOM. African command. I mean, nobody knew we had troops in Africa until a couple of Green Berets were killed in Niger. Like, what, what are we doing in Niger? Like, nobody had any idea. So it's incredible this happens. And, and Lawrence, you hit the nail on the head. You know, why is there, there's no reason for people to be starving in Africa. You're talking about the most mineral rich area of God's green earth. Well, that's the point is the, it's, it's all about, as you say, it's control. It's uh, finances are a means of control. They're not the actual ultimate end. Uh, For the last uh, two years, I've been involved in a war myself, a personal war (laughs) against the U.S. State Department for trying to overthrow the regime of the elected prime minister, Abiy Ahmed. And as a result, I'm I'm a bit of an American folk hero in Ethiopia when I go there and and also in the United States among some of the diaspora groups, because Ethiopia was playing a leadership role in economic development for the whole continent. Uh, they initiated the Djiboutis to Abi, uh, the Addis Ababa, uh, Addis Ababa to Djibouti Railroad in 2016, which I was there to ride on at the inauguration. Uh, they've launched the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, which is scheduled to produce about 6,000 plus megawatts of power. It now filled, has three fillings. They'll probably finish it in about three years, filling the entire dam. The biggest energy project in the continent has received no support from the United States government, no support from Western governments. And this is now, Africans are beginning to realize that they don't want to be uh, subjected to this control. They don't have yet complete freedom but in the case of, uh, of Ethiopia, the United States government was constantly uh, creating disinformation, supporting the TPLF, a uh, insurgent organization and militia, an ethno-national militia, whose declared purpose was to overthrow the government. And when the government was telling everyone in December of last year to get out of Ethiopia, it's about the, uh, the capital is going to fall in a matter of days, I went to Addis. <laughs> I did opposite of what my government suggested. And every single day I was on the media 
saying this is a lie. It's not going to collapse. And this is disinformation. And so those are the kind of things. I defend national sovereignty. I'm a fierce defender of sovereignty. I'm a fierce defender of development and infrastructure. So the, as you pointed out, China has been helping to build infrastructure. This is very important. And therefore, uh, it has support for many African countries. It's not perfect, but it does something useful. It's not just extracting gas and oil, which is all the West has been doing for over a half century. Russia's had some involvement, Turkey, India, Japan. And uh, the trip of Anthony Blinken to South Africa and uh, Rwanda last year was uh, an attempt, and the DRC in August was, not last year, but this past August, was an attempt to reset or try to repackage the United States because we're losing support from African nations. And the, late, the way they're doing it is they're using the cry of democracy. We must have democracy under the rules-based international order, our democracy, our way. And they're offering nothing, just, quote, democracy, human rights. And these are empty phrases. Actually, these are phrases, these are the slogans for regime change. And that's what they were attempting in Ethiopia. They failed. That doesn't mean they're going to leave Ethiopia alone, even though it was a very significant peace agreement last week. But this is what they want from every country, is their version of the international rules-based order democracy. And it's no democracy at all. They don't even understand, in my view, what the word democracy means, either for Africa or, for that matter, the United States. It's a euphemism. That's all it is. You know, democracy, human rights, and, you know, it's nothing but more subjugation, more exploitation, more pillaging, more raping of the country, its resources. You know, if you don't like uh, our democracy, then you know what? We're going to have a, a color revolution and a regime change operation, and you're out. And if you somehow survive that, then we'll figure out a way to create some sort of fictitious narrative or a pretext in order to create a war, which we won't call it a war. We'll just call it kinetic action, Lawrence, kinetic action. <laughs> well, if you think about it, uh, you think back to democracy, what, what it really means, and I, I think about Plato's Republic, democracy means a citizen taking responsibility for the future of the nation. What does that require? That requires leisure time. Yeah. That requires adequate housing. That requires electricity, which Africa doesn't have any. That requires the ability for to read, to have enough time during the day to read so you can study the policies and the history. And therefore, when you decide and debate, healthy debate, what should our country do? Where should we go? What's the future of it? That can only take place if people have a sufficient material standard of living. Yeah. You cannot discuss democracy as an issue in itself or human rights if you're not if you're not giving food, electricity. If mothers have to spend their day scraping for food and, and fathers have to work in the cancerous informal economy to provide us to eke out an existence, there's no time to think. So don't tell me about democracy and human rights if you're not going to develop people. The most fundamental human right is the right to live, but you can't live without food, without electricity, without housing, without medical care. None of these things come up in any discussion of democracy or human rights by the West and the rules-based order. No, they, they never do. 
And uh, I was I remember uh, um, I was in a in a in a conversation group online with uh, one of the former uh, ministers of public works for Liberia, and he was commenting on the difference between dealing with the United States and dealing with uh, let's say China. And he said, like what you said, is, is it the most perfect setup? No, you got to negotiate hard, you know. But it's something positive. And one of the things he said, it's like this is the first time in my in my generation or my people's generations going back forever. First time in my country's history where resources are leaving our country and infrastructure or something is being built in its place. And that is a complete stark difference from what the West has been dealing with when it comes to relation to Africa. It's a complete stark difference. Right. That's a, uh, that's the former infrastructure minister, Mr. Greedy Moore, mm-hmm. who has been making very good statements to that effect. Yep. And you see it even in this article I just uh, released on Sunday. Uh, you've had comments from President Buhari. You've had comments from the vice president of Nigeria. You've had comments from this energy minister, Mankash, from South Africa, who said this is a new form of colonialism. I mean, yeah. 70 has spoken out. There's a lot of pushback coming up because the West is, uh, is just uh, beyond fraud and hypocrisy. I mean, they're telling African countries, no new coal, no new gas, no new oil. But yet, <laughs> ironically, because of the Ukrainian conflict, which they're involved in, they're in Africa capitals today trying to get oil, gas, and coal, because that's what we need right now. Yeah. So the it's on one level it's hypocrisy. On another level, it's evil, because yeah. the Africans are not contributing to climate change. And in fact, climate change is not anthropogenic. Correct. It's not at all. I mean, if you you look at the carbon dioxide, approximately three and a half percent of greenhouse gases. Right. Point nine percent of that is estimated to come from human beings. Right. So that brings it down to three-tenths of a percent. And Africa is three percent of the total contribution. So uh, where are we now? Three percent of 0.3 percent. So it's a it's a fraud. It's a joke. It's a fraud to make sure that African countries don't develop the resources which they sovereignly have a right to. Without industrialization, without a manufacturing sector, Poverty and hunger will plague Africa, no matter how many human rights democracy conferences governments have in the world. Yeah, it's 100% correct. I mean, the, the whole entire nonsense that is climate change, which is, and they always say this thing, oh, there's a consensus, consensus. This has been debunked ever since the whole hide the decline email hack that went through with the IPCC, where it exposed that these guys were using force multipliers within the the, the algorithm to calculate quote unquote climate and temperature changes. And they were grossly, you know, imagining this. It was completely fraudulent data. And, and, and they say things like, oh, there's a consensus. There's no consensus in every discipline of science. There is zero consensus on anything. You can have five cardiologists that will have their opinion on what causes high blood pressure because we actually really don't know. And they'll argue about it. There's no consensus. But when it comes to climate, like you said, anthropogenic global warming or anthropogenic uh, climate change, man-made climate change is like 0.001%. They want you to think that this whole thing is the biggest driver. Meanwhile, Mars is warming up. Meanwhile, the, you know, there's all sorts of some type of activities that are affecting the climate on various planets. They don't want to look at that. 
but it's a feel-good slogan. Another axiom to brainwash the masses with, Lawrence. Well, I mean, first of all, even if there was a consensus, mm-hmm. uh, if there's a consensus, well, my my instinct over 50 years, over 50 years I've been involved in politics, if everybody agrees on something, it's probably wrong. Right. Because, because popular opinion, votes populi, is always wrong. And right. all the great classics, I mean, Shakespeare begins his play Julius Caesar by exposing votes populi. So this is always wrong. So what is the truth? Well, the truth is something you have to fight to understand. And there's many factors that go into what's called climate change. But as I mentioned in my article, uh, four and a half billion years of our planet, there's been constant climate change. Way, I mean, industrial, so-called start of industrial revolution in 1850 is only 200, less than 200 years old. The climate is constantly changing and will continue to change. The wobble of the earth is going to bring rain to the Sahara Desert in about uh, 12,000 years. Yeah. So there's geological, astrological, solar <clears throat> effects all the time. So are human beings causing this? No. But what is behind it? The people at the top are committed Malthusianists who right. believe inherently Man is evil and population has to be reduced. The majority of people who join, even the majority of young people, they're not bad people, but they've been imbibed. They've imbibed the propaganda and the political correctness dictatorship is so severe that people like myself and others who challenge it, you really get attacked. But the followers are just not informed. The people at the top know exactly what they're doing reduce the world's population, and they don't want to see Africa. If Africa were to industrialize, which it will, it has to, they would use these resources, and these resources would not be available for the elites of the West if they're being used for actual development of African nations. Yeah, absolutely right. You know, when you look at every single IMF um, or World Bank, more specifically, um, deals and, 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 and packages that are offered to African countries for quote-unquote development, it's like, yeah, we'll give you this to help stabilize your budget and, and get you out of uh, the, the debt that you owe us. But here's the deal in terms of infrastructure. You can only build windmills and solar panels. That's it. Yeah. And the Africans are like, well, what are we going to do about this? We're going to starve it. We can't build industry. Well, that's too bad. Windmills and solar panels. It's egregious. Well, yeah, because look, Africa has less than 100,000 megawatts mm-hmm. of utilized power mm-hmm. for sub-Saharan Africa, over a billion people. I mean, that's pathetic. I mean, it's criminal. So my estimates are we're going to need about 1,600 gigawatts of power to bring the African population up to the same standard of living the three of us are enjoying right now. Now, no one thinks that way. And that's going to mean, but that's going to mean fusion. Both the the small modular reactors, which can be produced mass, um, mass production and put into countries, two to 400 megawatts, plus the larger 1,000 megawatt plants. Africa has two nuclear power plants in South Africa, and they were built 40 years ago under the Afrikaner regime. There are about 17 countries in Africa negotiating or in stages of investigating nuclear energy. Uh, Egypt is building several new nuclear power plants with Russia, and uh, South Africa wants to build 9,600 megawatts of power nuclear 
Nuclear is the way to go. It should go now. Right. It was discussed in 1960 yeah. by a great Senegalese scholar, Chikantadio. And in 60 years, you can see we haven't made much progress. But this is where we have to go. And we should not accept being told we can't use our energy and that we can't transition to nuclear, which is what the West is saying. I, I, I go to Africa every year, several times yeah. a year. I was in Nigeria. I have a friend former ambassador, well-to-do neighborhood, and they only can run their own generators. They have to pay to run their own generators, but the generators and the battery packs that they save the energy for are not powerful enough to run their freezers and the air conditioning. That can only come from the grid, the national grid, but the national grid is so bad, it yeah. goes off all the time. So in the middle of the night, Nigeria is about 95 degree temperature. I'm sleeping there, and all of a sudden, the air conditioning goes off. And in, in, in Kaduna, I had no air conditioning. And so th this is not the way to live. So no. don't tell me solar works because it doesn't. It, it can light light bulbs and it can charge cell phones. And don't make it out to be more than that. <laughs> don't mention that some of these kids in the West, Lawrence, you might break their hearts. <laughs> I know. All my, all my young friends make uh, laugh and joke when I tell them these stories. Yeah, yeah, they have the electric cars of the future, and you know it's funny. It makes me like you made you made a comment about the whole nuclear thing and how you know the last nuclear power plants that are in Africa were built in South Africa uh, back in the Afrikaner regime, which makes me think: was it could it? You remember the whole rumor surrounding Operation Gold Coast, right, with South Africa developing nuclear weapons and things of that sort. Was it actually not weapons? Was was it most likely they were just developing nuclear energy and that was a big threat? God forbid that nuclear energy and they go ahead and they start building that in other parts of Africa or... Well, they, they, they agreed early on, uh, I think in the transition, to give up any nuclear weapons program. Now, I don't know how advanced it was or if it existed, but they agreed to give it up. And in fact, they became negotiators with Libya yeah. on their nuclear program. But uh, I think 10 to 20 years ago, Africa had a plan for mass production, assembly line production of modular reactors, uh, pebble bed reactors. Mm -hmm. And they were, it was killed. It never took off. And I think uh, Germany picked up on some of it before Germany went insane recently and shut down all the nuclear energy plants. So this nuclear energy question, and these are the, these are the only two plants in the whole continent and in South Africa. And as I say, they're 40 years old, which is about the last time we built a nuclear energy plant in the United States was under 1980. So this, is, uh, this attack on nuclear energy has held back Africa. Now there is a lot of water and hydropower is okay as a transition, but if water dries up or flows decrease, it's no longer efficient. So you can use everything. And my, my advice to my African friends, which drives the environmentalists crazy, is they say, I want to use every lump of coal, every bit of gas and oil we can to bring energy. Because yeah. as the energy minister of South Africa says, and Mo Ibrahim recently yeah. came out, a uh, well-known philanthropist. Billionaire. Dying from energy poverty. Don't yep. tell me we will die 
from climate change, we are dying now. Correct. Energy, the lack of energy kills Africans every single day. Not, yeah. I'm not making up an allegory. This is not figurative. This is literally. Yeah. And this, and this is the thing. This is what people in the West don't understand. They don't care. They don't understand that 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 oil and 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 energy that that are you know hydrocarbons are the lifeblood of a country's economy. It is a lifeblood. It always is dependent. Been. Always has been. And you cannot have civilization and development without hydrocarbons. You cannot do it. Neglecting, controlling, or squelching of hydrocarbons equals death. That's what it simply means. And the whole fact that, look, like what uh, Mo Ibrahim said in your article, we have 600 million people without electricity. How can we even think of development if people don't even have power? Development is a major issue for us, and power is essential. He also said 900 million people in Africa suffer from unclean cooking, mainly women. I mean, all the West is all about women's rights, right, Lawrence? I mean, they're all about women's yeah. rights. What about the pollution effect of that? It's a well, serious well, problem, a health well, disaster. Well, because what Mo, Mr. Abraham is referring to is even in addition to the 600 million who have no access to grid electricity. Yeah. Now, 600 million people is almost twice the population of the United States, so you get magnitude here. But the cooking is done with cow dung, with dirty, what you would call dirty coal, when I was in Mali several years ago, I was appalled because they, they, they're they using charcoaling, which was used in Africa uh, in prior to AD. When you take trees, you cover them with dirt loosely, and you and you actually create what's a, a type of coal from the wood. Yeah. Now, if the, the environmentalists are so stupid that they don't realize that the back, the, their refusal to support energy development, including nuclear, is actually leading countries to chop down trees. And trees are the best thing you have for the environment. More trees, the better. Right. And they love CO2. So they're a big defender of CO2. Thank but the fact know. of the matter is, they don't even understand that, that, that those people are forced to destroy trees just to be able to cook food because there are no gas lines, no electricity lines in the majority of African native. I stayed at some nice places and... Uh, there was no, no connection to infrastructure. Yeah. So this problem is, is, on the face of it, it's obvious we should have energy development. But the fact that we don't have that support, where is one human rights group that advocates energy development as human rights? They never even consider it. No, they won't, because it's anathema. These, 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 are, these are uneducated idiots, and that's the biggest problem. We have a bunch of uneducated morons in the West who are dogmatic, who just parrot axioms like a bunch of morons, and this is what it comes down to. Because the, because the, for the powers that be, for the wealth extractioners that are at the very tippy-top of this whole entire Ponzi scheme, right? they love it. They love it that they have a bunch of useful idiots that parrot nonsense like, oh, yeah, end oil now. What's that new movement that, that just started, Lawrence, at the end oil now, end oil today or tomorrow or something like that? Mm-hmm. They're, they're linked to you know, um, uh, Extinction Rebellion. They're linked to billionaires in the West. It's incredible to see this. And they don't right. understand. Yeah, and the, 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 look, you have to realize the United States population, which you know, I've watched now as an adult for over 50 years, is, is shrunk. So our morality is decreased. Our vision has decreased. Our understanding of the world is now... 
been reduced to uh, three, four, five word sentences, issues that you can discuss in 30 seconds. There's no concept building. There's no ideas. I'm reminded in the in the prior to the Civil War, uh, you used to have uh, senators who would speak for four hours. I think his name was Summers. And he would speak on the floor of the Senate for four hours, not reading from a book, but discussing the ills of slavery. Now, no one would even have the attention span to listen to four hours. So Africa is not on anybody's view in the in the United States of any kind of importance, even though, as I said, it right now will have uh, two and a half billion people by 2050. And Nigeria, country I know very well for 30 years, they will have over 400 million people. And because they still believe in procreation, they will have more people than the United States is projected to have. <laughs> so these are these are going to be the population centers of everything in the world. And if we don't change our view now and start investing in infrastructure and development, then we are going to set up the conditions where this, the groups like Boko Haram and AQIM, these will be small scale if you don't provide jobs and security and a future for a billion young people. Think about that. And we're not doing it and we're not helping them. I and it's not even something we think about. So I don't think this summit that the Biden is calling for. You know, you know what's funny? December is going to actually change that. You know what's funny? It's like it's over the last several decades, the West has deindustrialized itself, right? Correct. It's outsourced everything. So with the with, with, with the divesture of infrastructure and, and the leaving of, of these industries from the United States, you not only lose the industry, but you lose the very knowledge and know-how on how to create that industry, that's number one. Number two, instead of breaking 500,000 engineers and scientists per year, like what China does or what India does, we are breaking 500,000 humanities degrees, uh, gay mm-hmm. art therapy degrees, uh, gender studies degrees. I mean, e- even if we wanted to develop Africa, we can't. Because <laughs> look at our infrastructure. I don't know when was the last time you drove through New York. But my God, my God, you know, there's a joke forever, Lawrence, that I've been saying that we are a third world country with third world infrastructure, with a third world presidency looking for a third world currency, which is soon to be rectified. Well, I'm an old New Yorker. Hey! So I was born and raised in New York before I moved here. And I remember the West Side Highway before they took it down. Yep. When I was a young man, I was driving on the West Side Highway. I was just praying every every mile that I would make it alive because the potholes were so big, the the lanes were so narrow. I I was glad I just made it to the end of it every day to get home. But yeah, the the deindustrialization mentality has been going on in the United States for a long time. Um, If you look at Baltimore, Maryland, uh, we used to be one of the largest industrial manufacturing hubs in the world. In 1969, the Sparrows Steel Plant, Sparrows Point Steel Plant, employed close to 30,000 steel workers. Yep. Uh, we had three shipyards. We were we won World War II because we yep. were producing a new ship every three days during the war. That's all been torn down and exactly. replaced by the Inner Harbor, by tourism, yeah. uh, by the various shops you can imagine that now circulate around. The Inner Harbor is no longer an industrial place. Well, who needs that when you could have... Who needs that, Lawrence, when you could have some hipster coffee in Brooklyn? Why not? <laughs> I know. Yeah. So the whole the West 
has lost its vision. Now, you know, China and President Xi have a different view, and they still live their problems, but they're still moving in an idea of industrial economic progress. Now, a lot of people say, well, there's dictatorship and make various accusations. And I say, okay, well, put that aside for a second. They just, by World Bank confirmation, they lifted 800 million people out of poverty. Again, that's twice the size of the United States, out of poverty. Correct. So even, don't you think there's something there we might want to look at? Do you think there's something we can learn from? The biggest uh, development in an economy that our civilization has ever seen? Yep. And when they say they want to help Africa, which has about 450 million people in extreme poverty, that's a serious statement. Now, wh whether they'll succeed and how it'll work out, that's not clear because of all the changes that go on in the current economy. But there's a commitment, there's a vision by the Chinese to help. There's no such commitment exists from the West. And as you were saying, we're perfectly willing to, to destroy the African economies or prevent them from industrialization because we're doing the same thing to ourselves. Yeah. And, and therefore, it's not an exceptional. The problem in Africa is it kills. It's not killing yet in the United States. It may in the future. But in Africa, the, the lack of industrialization is killing the population. 100%. Without industrialization and manufacturing, as Hamilton made the argument, yeah. we cannot have a sovereign economy. Yeah, one of the things that I uh, one of the things I was uh, involved in war gaming several oh my god almost a decade ago, uh, I was in the room with the we we war game different scenarios and stuff. Uh, some of these guys are bankers, engineers, scientists, things of that sort. And one of the questions that was posed when the when this uh, think tank group was, what would an economic collapse of the United States would look like? Okay, a total complete economic collapse within the United States. And the answer that was given, some of these guys were former intelligence officers, things of that sort, and they're, they're, the answer, the consensus that we all came upon was 25 million dead in the, in, in the first 90 days. And me, being the young guy back then, I was in my 30s, I'm like, 25 million dead in, in 90 days? How is that possible? And they broke it down to me. Breakdown of infrastructure. Once infrastructure breaks down, people will die from starvation, dehydration, lack of medication, sanitation, disease and uh and violence all things that exist in the third world today because infrastructure and development are not there like yeah. we take for granted the fact that we can flip a switch and a light bulb comes on we take for granted the fact that we can turn on a faucet and potable drinking water comes out these things i mean i mean people don't realize how good we have it so we can yeah. In our ivory tower, say, oh, climate change is going to have a solar panel, bro. It's yeah. incredible. And you know, it's you know, funny to me, Lawrence. Like, when you look at, uh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Well, as you mentioned, uh, disease. Yeah. Uh, Africa is the only continent where cholera is endemic. They've yeah. never been able to eliminate cholera. Now, cholera is extreme di diarrhea. Yeah. What are we talking about? We're talking about having an irrigation, uh, an infrastructure piping system where you remove the waste product and liquid from the liquid water you want to drink. It's, sure. it's known. I mean, it's existed for a long, long, long time that we know how to do this. Yet we haven't done it. So cholera kills children every year. In fact, there's, there's By the millions. four to five million children die a year 
from cholera, respiratory, and other diseases. So that's more than in a war. And that's every year. Every year. Many, it's like sending up thousands of plane loads of children and then crashing them. Yeah. Now, these, this is no objective reason. This can be changed. And as you say, <clears throat> look, we, uh, since Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, one of my heroes, and John F. Kennedy, there's no conception of economic policy, of real economic policy no. in the United States, because people don't understand infrastructure. Infrastructure is a long-term investment. Correct. Seven to 10 years. But the return is not making that system, that railroad profitable. The return is making the economy profitable. So these building of railroads in Africa uh, by the Chinese and uh, Turks, the Turkish have built one in Tanzania and others. These are essential. They may not turn a profit immediately from a, a bookkeeper's standpoint, but they will change the economy. And without them, the economy will never develop. So infrastructure is a platform yep. of which the entire economy rests on. And this is not understood. And I've brought this up numerous times to officials in the uh, uh, Clinton administration, Obama administration. I bring up infrastructure and I say, we don't do infrastructure. That's the exact words they say. Uh, we don't do infrastructure. <laughs> we don't do infrastructure. That's what the current uh, UN ambassador, Linda Thomas Greenfield, told yeah. me at one of the forums years ago. Well, if you don't do infrastructure, then you're insane and you're going to end up killing people. Africa is going to have to form its own set of relations with the rest of the world until the West becomes sane, because we can't really wait for the West to turn itself around, even if it ever will. And the U.S. is very frustrated. That's why Blinken went to South Africa in August and, and got handed a pretty strong diplomatic rebuff, as much as you can do in diplomacy by their minister, Pandor, very smart lady. And uh, they don't really know what to do. And they're going to try to convince the private sector in December at the, an African U.S.-Africa summit. They're going to try to get the private sector to make investments. The private sector, I know them well, they're not going to make the investments necessary. But because they can't afford to, they're not set up to invest billions of dollars in five to 10 year projects. Yeah. So there will be some investment, but it's not going to be transformational. I want to see a high speed railroad yeah. crisscrossing the continent of Africa. And that's the type of thing, along with nuclear energy plants in every single nation. Um, absolutely. These are the things that would be transformative, along with a water program I've advocated for decades called Transaqua. There are all kinds of things we can do if we make the investment. And the money we spend will be far cheaper than what we're spending in training military, which has so far failed. You know, one of the things I think the biggest glaring problem here and it's a detriment to us in so many regards and in so many levels is the fire economy, finance, insurance, and real estate, also known as a speculative economy. Right. And I've said this so many times to my audience where in a normal, healthy economy, the fire economy, the speculative aspect of the economy would be maybe 10%, maybe 15 at the most. We're in a country where literally, because of derivatives, because everything is financialized, whether, you know, uh, the, the the bloody parking tickets are financialized for God's sakes, right? I know everything is financialized to the point where the fire economy is the all encompassing economy. 
So it is so for a physical economy to rise, even in the United States, is a seen as a threat to the fire economy. That's how bad we've allowed this parasite, this cancer to metastasize and eat us alive. We're to the point where this thing is this tumor called the called the called the, the, the speculative economy is so darn huge. How do you excise it without killing the patient? That's yeah. what we got. And this is what we can't do. If we can't do anything. Well, that's and the problem is we, we don't really have any leadership yeah. in in either party. Uh, the Democrats have no and the Republicans have no understanding. I mean, Trump in, in when he was running for office in his first term, he talked about Glass Eagle, did nothing. He talked about the American system. I don't think as a real estate mogul. Uh, a casino operative, he had any understanding. I think these were phrases to them. I think yep. financially, he's never involved himself in seriously in the physical economy. No. So we don't have, I haven't seen any Republicans or Democrats who understand uh, this question of physical economy. Not we a single a, politician. Right. So we, need a, we need a Lincoln. We need a, a Franklin FDR. Roosevelt. We yep. need a John F. Kennedy. We need a John Quincy. Now, I don't know who those people are right now, but in times of severe crisis, like the one we're in, leadership can emerge if we continue to propagate the ideas for the continued existence of civilization. Where that leadership is and who that leadership is, I can't tell you, but it has to emerge. Otherwise, we're going to go into a dark age in the West. We're almost there. I mean, Europe, <laughs> this, you, maybe the only place stupider than the United States is Europe. Because oh, they're just insane. They're just killing themselves every single day. I think the Germans have gone collectively insane. But, they but, down nuclear energy. I think of all the nations in Europe, I think the Germans are the most um, um, economically cuckold. You know, they're <laughs> the ones who have completely lost it. It, it. They are committing national seppuku. On a grand stage, and 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 then signaling to the world how virtuous they are as they disembowel themselves. It's incredible. Yeah, nor you know Norway. Uh, surprisingly, they are actually involved in a very interesting advanced nuclear energy production process for a closed system mm-hmm. of the nuclear process and the waste disposal in one closed system. Yeah, I think they're doing uh, thorium, aren't they? Like some sort of thorium reactor? Well, thorium is the way forward. That's what the yeah. Indians are looking at as well. Yeah. So there, there's a little bit of sanity there. But I agree with you. I, I, I love Germany. I used to visit it all the time on my way to Africa. Yeah. It's a beautiful country, great wine and beer. Amazing cars. <laughs> well, cars is, every, is, cars is everything to them. Yeah. Uh, but they, they, uh, they've, they've lost it completely. They're just, yeah. they're just destroying themselves. And they're the only thing that makes Americans look sane. Is the, is the Germans. And of course, the British, the heart of the oligarchy, they're, they're going through a public destruction in front of everybody. So that's kind of fun to watch. Well, Lawrence, here we have uh, Rishi Sunak. Rishi Sunak. He's the, he's the Prime Minister of the Week. Yeah. Lawrence, he's the Prime Minister of the Week. We don't know who the next... We don't know if he's going to be Prime Minister next week, but this week he's still Prime Minister. Correct. Okay, So Rishi Sunak... This is his new package. We could, we know you and I, all of us, in, in this we all know what what this package really is. This is all about uh, regime change and uh, destabilizing operations, utilizing NGOs. And here it is: one point six billion pounds on climate finance, 
Again, the UK, a country that produces nothing, has nothing, but an all-encompassing parasite known as the City of London. Then you have 1.5 billion pounds for Pakistan and Somalia. What? We we just know that there is already political, you know, turmoil that is starting in 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 Pakistan. We know that Somalia is going through some stuff. Then here's what's scary. Okay, sixty five million for Kenya and Egypt. Uh oh, one hundred fifty million for Congo and the Amazon. Now, if I was the Democratic Republic of Congo, if I was Kenya, if I was Egypt, if I was Brazil, I'd really worry. Because everything that they name here is basically rivals of the Western unipolar world. And they com- and they completely blanketed us. This is a climate package. This is to help the developing world become net zero by 2030. It's sickening. Well, what do you, I don't know if you're aware, but this uh, so-called promises from COP26 last year in Paris for several, I think it was $100 billion, and they parceled it out per country. That money is not arriving in these countries. At the, South Africa, I think, was promised $8.5 billion, yeah. even though they need uh, about $60 billion per year for, quote, transition to uh, a neutral carbon environment. But this money is not, is not being funded. These were projections and pledges and commitment. They're not coming. And, and Whatever, whatever pledges they make at the current uh, conference going on in, uh, in Egypt, this money also will not be forthcoming. These are pledges. Right. And, the, and if you brought up the Congo, there's a big conflict in the Congo because uh, the president, Tatsushiki, wants to sell off parts of the area that touches on the Congo Basin, which is the second largest tree basin in the world next to the Amazon Basin. And He's willing to sell off certain portions of it for the purposes of making money and producing oil. And the environmentalists are going up in arms. And again, even though he's not the strongest president, he has said, we have a right to use this to develop our population. So they're going to be, A, the money is not forthcoming, and B, the Africans uh, can no longer, or appears that they're resisting this hypocrisy that's coming out of the West. And I don't think the West can pull it off. I mean, I don't care how many conferences and, and billionaires fly into uh, to Egypt for this conference. I think their their credibility, I think the uh, rules-based order is imploding. Yeah. And still may have some political muscle, or I should say military political muscle, but it's not what it used to be. You know, if, uh, the Congo and the people there really need to be on their on their toes because that is one area that is rich in hydrocarbons number one but also rich in cobalt and vanadium and mm-hmm. molybdenum strategic and rare earth minerals and metals which are vital for the war machine right which are vital for microchips and which are also vital for batteries oh yeah yeah well think about the congo now democratic republic of the congo they have about 75 billion people I was asked to do a, a study for a, uh, an Asian country many years ago, and it was I pointed out that per capita and per land area, it had the largest deficit of infrastructure of any African country, even worse than Somalia, because the Congo was so big. 
Now, the Congo is under constant warfare. Right now, there's warfare going on over those minerals in the Kivu province in, in the southeast, southeastern section. Think about the Congo. They elected uh, Patrice Lumumba and in uh, 1960. And within two to three months, he was overthrown. Hmm. And then in January 61, as he was trying to reach President Kennedy personally to save his life, he was executed. Since the overthrow of Patrice Lumumba, and that's June of 1960, he was elected and overthrown in September. The Congo has had no stability, no peace, and people live in the worst possible conditions. And there's discussion of genocide all the time. And of course, now uh, the accusations are that the Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed was committing genocide to Gray, which it wasn't. But the Congo had, has had two genocides in its history. The first was on the King Leopold II, beginning in 1880, when he killed arguably 10 million Congolese. Mm. And the second was the war over these minerals that went from 1998 to 2004, where 6 million people were killed. So one country has suffered two genocides and is living under the most horrific conditions. And when China made proposals to build uh, transportation centers and other infrastructure, the IMF went nuts. No, 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 you can't do that. You're going to build up your debt. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. And while, meanwhile, the West has done nothing, nothing to help the Congo in 60 years. Unbelievable. It's yes. criminal. It's criminal. This is, these, are, these are human lives, and these yeah. are people, and it breaks my heart, and this has become, that's why, even in my old age, it's my passion, because uh, we cannot allow the human race to, to permit a destruction and annihilation of a section of its people. And from a geopolitical standpoint, as I said earlier, Africa will become the center of the planet uh, for good or for bad yeah. in, in the next generation. You know, um, one of the things, um, you know, the faster the unipolar world collapses, the better off we will all be, even those of us that live within the walls of the empire. Well, it's already collapsing. So, yeah, I mean, 100%. Look, China, in its rise, its economic power, which will, it's the second economic power in the world. It will be the first, it will be the number one economy in the world probably before the end of this decade. So they busted that part. Russia, whatever your interpretation of the war is, Russia has broken the rules-based order. 100%. So rules-based order does not control the world any longer. The no. question is, what happens? Do we actually get into a nuclear confrontation, which I think is not probable, but possible? Mm -hmm. Or do we use this crisis to set up a new paradigm for development, which the West will come kicking and screaming to, but if they're in a the minority, they'll have to agree to it. Yeah. But the the power of the rules-based order, as they call themselves, or we used to call the Anglo-American establishment, the international oligarchy, they no longer control the world. And as you just said, that's a good thing. Yeah. What will happen is up to what we as, as thoughtful uh, people do to determine the future. Yeah, very well said. Lawrence, awesome talk. Glad to have you on. And once again, will you give out your well, your website, your links, your social media that people 
could follow you. I don't we have that in the description box below, but also your last comments that you'd, you'd like to make. Go for it, Lawrence. Well, I, my view is that we have an opportunity to, to do good, as Cotton Mather said. We can do good. We can make policies that are in the interest of the United States and in the interest of Africa. We have the same, we are the same human beings. We're all created with the power of creativity, the power to discover. Yeah. So we have a common interest in helping Africa and helping ourselves. And economically, the same thing. If Africa is industrialized, think about the needs they will have for capital equipment, for knowledge, for technology, which we could provide once we regroup ourselves. So we have a positive trade potential with Africa, and we have a moral obligation, and we're the same people, we're human beings, and therefore we should be joining. And I've said this many times, if the United States would join with China, there is not going to be competition for infrastructure because there's so much needed. Yeah. But those two economic leaders, if we join together with a joint mission to end poverty and hunger in Africa, it could be done. And I know how to do it. I could help doing it. But it could be done. And I'm hopeful that my country comes to its senses and takes responsibility for the development of, my, of our fellow Americans, but also of, of Africa, uh, which Africans still look up to the United States. So this can be done. There's no objective reason if we have the right policy. Very well said. Lawrence, thank you so much for joining us again, folks. You can find the, the links to his website directly right there in the description box. Uh, CJ has the web page up. Lawrence, thank you. We definitely got to have you back on. There's just so much to discuss. A wonderful conversation. And, folks, tonight is our election countdown. Uh, we're going to wake up tomorrow. We'll find out if we are if we still have a republic or have we completely delved totally, <laughs> even on the local and state level, to a banana republic status. <laughs> God help thank, us. Thank you very much for having me. I enjoy talking to you. It's a pleasure, Lawrence. Thank you so much. Take care. Take it away, CJ. Bye.